Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin, and today we take a look at a book that is the first English language deep dive into Ten Cents Origin. It's a terrific read and an insider-packed virtual overview of China's tech space. The book made the Financial Times shortlist for the best business book of the year for 2022. The title. Influence Empire, and the book is just packed with interviews from inside China's tech world. It takes us into the origin stories, the histories, and the present battles of Tencent, its arch nemesis Alibaba, Didi, and Meituan. Author Lulu Yilun Chen joins me live as we ask, "What is the future of China's tech ambitions?" Lulu, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Glad to be here, Michelle. So here this morning, markets are abuzz about China emerging from three years of self-imposed global isolation. Beijing opening its borders over the weekend, no longer requiring incoming visitors to quarantine.、Um, the end of its COVID zero policies. Many policy U-turns that have got markets abuzz. So lifting the two-year ban on Australian coal imports for one, and easing up. Regulation on its tech giants like Alibaba,、uh, even taking measures to boost the property market. But specifically with Alibaba, if we look at the impact that's had on the individual stocks, Alibaba and Tencent have gained nearly 100 billion US dollars in market cap since the start of the year. So not shabby at all. Your book was written in 2022. So. When you look at the moment that we're in right now, have your views on China's tech ambitions as a whole changed? Well, I think what we experienced in the past few years was a paradigm shift in terms of how China looks at regulating the tech landscape. Three decades ago, the internet sector was not important; hence, you had a lot of freedom for these in- entrepreneurs to weave Western capital and grow into these gigantic platforms and conglomerates. Where we are right now in time is where the government has identified the tech sector, internet platforms, as a Fundamental, important underpinning driver of the economic growth. The data that they harvest is also important resource for production. And if you think about how the state needs to control these key means of production, then it only makes sense that that the policies that、uh, that were introduced in the past two years are going to stay in place. What you mentioned about the policy stance softening in the past week, I think. You're absolutely right. When you put all the、uh, pieces of the puzzle together, from property to tech、uh, to COVID, then the government, I think, is now refocusing on bo-、um, boosting economic growth. Just because, in order for Xi Jinping, after he secured his third term, to to、um, maintain that kind of power, and also if he wants to be remembered in history books, he needs the economy to grow and make sure that China is an economy that rivals the U.S. What do you think will endure when it comes to China's approach to its tech startups? Then, 
So the policies that were put in place in terms of how to manage and control data, ensuring that specifically in the fintech sector that these companies uh, return, for example, Ant uh, Ant Group uh, return to its roots in payments, um, while not being literal in that sense, I think they want to make sure that they build proper firewalls between the payments business and the other more lucrative operations like consumer lending. And that's what Ant has done to a large extent. They um, created this consumer lending unit, and now they only own 50% in the company, so it's no longer a subsidiary. They've introduced state-owned lenders and combined state, state-owned companies and uh, combined stake share um, and, and uh, stakeholding. They control about 20%. The government controls about 20% in that consumer lending unit. So more, more presence of the government in a lot of these operations. The other thing with Tencent specifically is on their gaming business and they introduced all these policies to ensure that teenagers aren't spending a load of time on the gaming products, cap um, consumption time for a lot of the gaming products. All those policies, I think, are here to stay. And yeah, we've just seen the green light given to Tencent, I believe, for the release of a number of games to hit the international gaming market, right? So we're seeing easing on the gaming front somewhat. Yeah, I think um, the the approval of the games is definitely a, a positive sign um, after a much awaited freeze. The um, the company needs to be Tencent needs to be much more much more judicious and much more uh, careful in terms of what products they put forward now because uh, license approvals are are a rarity now. It's not the old days where they could just throw everything on the wall and see what sticks. So they're putting forward the titles that they put forward for gaming approvals are their best best titles that they think have chances of becoming blockbusters. Hence, you have Pokemon United, which um, they leveraged a lot of their experience in creating for um, Honor of Kings, the MOBA title that took China by storm. And I think Tencent has really built a lot of expertise by converting great IPs into mobile titles, that that's something that the company has actually created as a, as a niche for themselves instead of just importing great titles from overseas. And I think going forward, Tencent is going to continue to do that as well. Compared to, you know, when you were writing this book, is there the same political need to keep tech moguls firmly in their lane, firmly in their place in terms of influence? Or do you think the economic considerations of needing to revive China's economy is going to temper this stranglehold significantly? This is my personal interpretation. I think the country is fine with people making money, but it does not want a class of rich billionaires whose uh, economic ambitions become political. And it's that's why it needs a, a large middle base versus a large uh, top wealthy base that actually exacerbates the wealth gap and also introduces instability to the social structure. Hence, that's why we saw that's part of the reason why we saw the the regulatory crackdowns as well. And, and also um, it echoes. All these policies echo uh, C's drive for common prosperity, which is to address the wealth gap issue. A lot of the fears around the influence of these tech entrepreneurs center around the lifeblood of startups, and that is data in their hands. Um, What do you see changing in terms of data management? And what will the data that these tech 
giants in China have, given their huge user bases, also mean for users beyond China? So China recently issued its most sweeping regulatory blueprint for how to regulate data, and from it, I guess the key message coming out of it was that they identified data as a means of produ- production.、Um, it's a Marxist kind of view, but basically, in anything in means production, you for the country in order for it to stay as a, a communist country, the government needs to control the Communist Party needs to control key avenues of revenue drivers like gas, oil, telecommunications. Now that the internet is one of those economic drivers, they also need to control the means of production in this industry, which is the data plays a huge role. They've introduced this idea that they could create. Platforms and exchanges on both central government and local government level that enables data exchange between companies, state-owned entities, and also organizations. But I think very thin on details. I think the best way to understand how they're going to do it is to to keep track of these test pilots that they're going to introduce and have been introducing, and see if anyone takes off that gets introduced on a broader scale. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Today, in conversation with Lulu Chen, author of Influence Empire: The Story of Tencent and China's Tech Ambitions. Lulu, what can you tell us about China's AI tech startups? What does your book share in terms of how they compare, perhaps, to Silicon Valley's giants? Well, Chinese AI startups in, are in a Very interesting period of time as of now. The leading ones like MegV and also、uh, SenseTime have suffered or have been、uh, suffering pressure due to China and U.S. tensions.、Um, if you look at the chip industry, again, similar. It's a similar narrative, and for for two years, this industry actually received a lot of support from the Chinese government. We recently reported; our colleagues broke a story saying that Chinese government is rethinking, readjusting its strategy in terms of how they subsidize this industry because the past policies have spurred graft and also exacerbated its tensions with the U.S. I think. Chips are going to continue to be very important, and the best technologies are probably going to come out either from China or the U.S. because it is a, a war race in this sense. But in terms of how China wants to enable that, I think they have to fine tune their strategy because currently we are seeing that the money has been flowing into wrong companies, not the real cutting edge companies、um, that they like to see as much. Did you have a sense of who was leading that AI tech race? Well, this is a national level. This is a national level strategy, so I wouldn't say it's pinpoint to one individual. What is your book? Were you able to, you know, share with us、uh, some of the stories?、Uh, what was going on? The sort of tech that China's AI tech startups were looking at. I think like China's AI startups were only a phenomenon after the 2015 period. Even though many of these companies started much earlier, their their real takeoff I think started around that period and the leading companies in that space. 
at least in the past few years in China has been McVi and since time and these companies um, have been trying to they've rallied a lot of global capital and big global investors behind their back part of the challenge for them though is to actually generate legit revenue stream and if you look at what they've done is a lot of it has been backing government projects like city surveillance smart city surveillance the issue with that is governments usually don't pay you up front and so, so you you have a lot of account receivables and that is a that's a real real um issue for a lot of companies that are trying to survive in this down cycle that they need that cash flow to come come in so i think companies that can address this issue are able to probably live through this cycle but if not then then we'll see a reshuffling of cards again by the end of the cycle you mentioned uh, Beijing and the subsidies for this sector. If we look at subsidies, we, we know we're in uncertain ground as well because Beijing has placed massive investments in the semiconductor industry on hold, saying costly subsidies have so far borne little fruit. So in terms of the moneyed rainmakers, who's fueling China's startups? Well, the interesting thing is people think oh china is going through this down cycle hence nobody's investing all the startups are dead but that's not that's actually not the case on the ground the vc investors will tell you that there is a thriving community and a lot of activity on the ground level for seed companies and also series a companies the trouble is more on after growth stage cuz a lot of these startups fetched really really expensive valuations and now is the time for them to justify their their expensive price tags in terms of what's still safe to invest in the consensus is anything related to climate tech or industrial output is still uh, in line with the government's agenda read the five year plan the government lays out its vision quite clearly in this public information and figure out what are the pockets of places that the government still wants to drive economic growth and and align your strategy with that and 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 I think you can figure out why why people are investing in these two sectors well there's been a lot of investment flowing to the metaverse and I wonder what are your thoughts on which chinese startups are likely to shine in the metaverse The metaverse is interesting because even though when Mark Zuckerberg changed his name to um Meta it drived a lot of hype and excitement in China I think fundamentally uh what China is going to have is very different from what the US and the rest of the world are going to have originally like the concept of a metaverse comes from Neil Stevenson's novel Snow Crash and it has strong anarcho-capitalist tones it's set in this world driven by hyperinflation and libertarian underlying tones the the idea that china would actually create something of that version is is um completely uh impossible um and and different from from the early days of the internet the metaverse is closely watched and guarded from day 1 so whatever comes out i think will 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 from day 1 receive a lot of uh, regulatory scrutiny and even things as a political as near sighted near sightedness could become a, a sensitive thing because um, Xi Jinping has been on a drive to correct 
children vision um, and kids vision and and the thought of uh, a generation of children wearing VR headsets uh, uh, stuck in a virtual reality world playing games is is probably not the not what the country's leader is imagining. I think Pony Ma has said, though, that he, he foresees that in the future, China could create a Quanzhen internet, which has many overlapping themes with the metaverse. But broadly defined, he says that the Quanzhen internet melds the web with industrial output and work. So I think if companies can play up that card to help the government see merit, if any, in this technology in helping economic activity, then maybe whatever comes out of China's metaverse version will have a chance. So interesting to hear that um, interplay of ideology and China's version of the metaverse, as you put it. In fact, in your book, you write, without freedom of thought, how long can China's economic miracle last? Will China play an outsized role in the knowledge economy of the future, or will that remain in question until the restriction of knowledge of information and uh, the flow of knowledge within China is addressed? These are questions that you raise in your terrific book, Influence Empire. Any views since writing those? It's a, it's a question that I find hard to answer because China restricting information flow has been a criticism for decades. And yet you see some of the brightest minds in our world, the best entrepreneurs um, on par with Silicon Valley coming out of the country. And I think... Part of it is because um, the country has benefited from letting people go overseas and study and vice versa. And the exchange of information is actually quite active in the capital market worlds. Whether that will continue after the policy stances soften after COVID zero remains to be seen. Um, another thing is the education system right now is also going through another round of adjustments and we won't be able to see what the effects are until this generation of children grow up. So I think it's a, it's a long-term question that remains to be tested by time. You start the book talking about you know, graduating and everybody having these QQ codes back in the time where access to computers was difficult. Were you then a student in Beijing? You're joining us now from Hong Kong. Did you grow up going through the Chinese education system? Yes, I myself am a product of the Chinese education system, and I grew up in Beijing. Um, I only arrived in Hong Kong about a decade ago to uh, work as a journalist. All right. And before we let you go, what can an avid China tech investor, Lulu, gain from reading Influence Empire? Well, I wrote the book partly to help people understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur in China and arrive at their own conclusions. Also, we're in a down cycle right now, and many of the characters, personalities that I interview and write about in this book created their companies in down cycles and practically a VC winter freezes. So I think their their experience in going through these cycles and that they managed to survive offers a lot of value. Also, the the other important message is that the, the shifts in policies that we saw in the past two years, even with the policy stance softening, I think are here to stay. And so the repercussions from the, the fallout from that is actually, I think, has a, a long-term meaning and lesson for, for companies and people who are interested in China for the next few years. 
We've been wanting to talk to you since last year. So thank you so much uh, for joining us on air today. She's Lulu Chen. And the book's title, what we're reading this morning, is Influence Empire, the Story of Tencent and China's Tech Ambition. I'm Michelle Martin. This is Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.